Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Part of the Vision 2020 mission, we, the, the transition team, uh, is to ratify or to re-ratify or to say amen to our mission statements, which is in the bulletin. Look, if you would, again, on the left-hand side. We call it the purpose statement here. Same thing. Our purpose statement we have for Emmanuel Baptist Church is to be and to make mature and joyful disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's our purpose, why we are here as a church, why we are on Airport Road physically, and why we are part of the body of Christ. And we reaffirm that, and we saw last week uh, the Great Commission to make disciples as we're going and baptizing and teaching. So this is the second of three sermons on the church. Last week was the two great C's, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. Today is the gathered church, the church gathered, and you'll understand in just a moment that next week is going to be the church scattered. This is a church gathered, and next week is a church gathered, and be from the same text as we have here. We also mentioned last week that uh, the main thing is keep the main thing the main thing. And the, okay, what is the main thing? Main thing is the Great Commission. Main thing is make disciples. The main thing is the Great Commission to make disciples or disciple making. There are different ways to do that. We're all called to be disciple makers. Now, that's going to look different from me and from you and different people we talk to and so forth. Each church is different. Every church should have a mission statement or a purpose statement that's about the Great Commission. We're going to flavor it differently. And that's fine. But there's different ways of doing that. Now, but as we do different ways of making disciples of fulfilling the Great Commission, there are five functions that every church must do to be a biblical and effective church. Five functions, if you will. And these five functions apply to the individual Christian too, to you and me. They are, if you're taking notes, I'll go a little slowly, but you'll get it this week, next week. These five functions are worship, discipleship or equipping or training, fellowship, evangelism or missions, and ministry or service. Worship, discipleship, fellowship, evangelism, and missions. I'm going to break that down today and next week. We're going to group those five functions of the church and of the Christian into two categories, two major areas when the church gathers together and when the church scatters. Now, I think you know this, but I need to say it again. The church is not this building. You know that. The church is you and me. We're the church. Now, this is a church building. This is where the church gathers together on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We get the church gathers together on this campus here on Airport Road. And we do three things here. We should be doing three things. And next week, we'll talk about when the church leaves 
the campus. When the church scatters into the world, we'll talk about that next week. The church gathered and the church scattered. When we gather, we worship, we're involved in discipleship or training, and we have involved in fellowship. And when we scatter, we evangelize or do missions, and we minister or we serve. That's the, the quick and dirty. So today, we'll look at the first three functions of the church, which is the church gathered. First of all, the church grows stronger through worship. We saw last week about the great commandment in Matthew 22, to love God with our whole hearts, with our whole being, mind, body, and soul, everything. This is worship. This is worshiping God. And we, we sang some worship songs about worshiping God and putting God first place. He is the ruler, the king. In Acts 2, in our text today, and before we look at the text, but the text here uh, about three or four or five times in the, God, in the book of Acts, Luke gives us some summary statements. In Acts 1, we have the preparation, Jesus ascends back to heaven. And in Acts 2, we have the preaching of Peter and the apostles on the coming of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 souls were baptized. And here at verse 42, Luke gives a summary statement, what's going on in these first weeks and months of the early church there in Jerusalem kind of a picture. Later on, he'll give some other pictures of what's happening in the church at certain times. Here in, in this paragraph, look at verse 42, and they, the early believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of prayer, prayer, breaking of bread and prayer. Now, breaking of bread may mean just eating together. Okay, we break bread together. But I think probably Luke is referring to the Lord's Supper. Breaking the bread, the Eucharist, the communion, ever how you want to say that. So they were worshiping the God together in their homes probably. And back down on verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They went to the, the, the big plaza there at the temple there in Jerusalem and they would have worship times together as a larger congregation and not just in homes. But they were worshiping. They came together in homes and in a big open area to worship God. Now, you probably have heard, maybe you said before yourself, I can worship God anywhere on Sunday morning. I can worship God outdoors as well as I can coming to church. I can worship God on the golf course on Sunday morning or at the lake or beach or the mountains or any other place. Now, the problem with that, I can worship God on the golf course is that you're not going to do it. Okay, that, that's, that's the first thing. You're not going to do it at the beach or the lake or hiking in the woods. You may have thoughts about God. Sure, you're in nature. I understand that. And other people have private worship services with a Bible and maybe a cassette tape. Uh, not cassette tape, that's the old stuff. Uh, a CD uh, in, your, in your player and have, you know, worship choruses and and. Yeah, you can do that, and maybe you should do that, but not on Sunday morning. So why worship with the church body? Why worship with God's people? Now, I, don't, I have got five subpoints that's not going to be on the screen, so I'm going to go slowly if you're taking notes. Number one, God reveals himself more clearly in congregational worship than in nature. God reveals himself more clearly in congregational worship 
than in nature. Yes, God does reveal himself in nature. We do see God in nature. I'm not against nature at all, but in a limited way. You're going to know so much about God in nature. God does reveal himself in the cosmos, but his, his clearest revelation is in Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross for us, and his life and the resurrection, and that's revealed to us in the scriptures. So here's the point. You won't hear about Christ, and you won't hear the inspired word of God when you worship God in nature. But you will when you worship God with the church. Now, unfortunately, the old saying is, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. Those who aren't here need to hear this. Okay, that's the way it goes. Two. God is more glorified in congregational worship than in private worship. Now, I'm not against private worship. You need to be involved in private worship daily. There's nothing wrong with private worship, but that can't be the only thing. And God is glorified in private worship, but God is more glorified when we come together on Sunday morning, whenever it is. Now, thank you of your favorite ball team. Of course, we're here in North Carolina. It's got to be college basketball, right? An ACC tournament starts this week. But when your favorite team wins the national championship, that they get more glory when that game is shown nationwide than just shown on circuit TV. You with me? The more that's there, the more glory it is. And also, I think, with an author. I, I think of uh, um, Tolkien when he wrote Lord of the Rings. When, when he was writing Lord of the Rings in the 30s and 40s and 50s, he was really writing it for himself. He said that, you know, England didn't have a, a mythology like other ethnic groups had. And he wanted to kind of write one for England. And he, he kind of did this in his own garage. He made up languages. He was a crazy nerd, you know. And he really was. He, he knew languages well. But he invented two or three languages for Lord of the Rings. And, of course, he had friends like C.S. Lewis and others, the Inklings, and they would read parts of the chapters of their writing to each other. And, and he read part of the Lord of the Rings, and Lewis in particular really encouraged him to continue and finish it and have it published. He didn't really want to. Now, if he had done Lord of the Rings, he would have gotten some glory, right? But now, since he wrote it and published it, and keeps being sold in movies, he's received more glory, has he not, as an author, because it's more out there. Same with God. God receives glory when you're with him privately, or you and your family, that's great. But it's more when we come together in the body of Christ, we become stronger. Three, congregational worship is more edifying than private worship. I worship God privately. I hope you do too. And I said a couple of times a week or so ago, I said, I got the best seat in the house sitting right here. Because I can hear Fred singing, first of all, and my wife singing. And then I can hear the up fronters a little clearer. And I'm edified hearing you guys sing. I'm singing with you. Congregational worship is more edifying than private worship. Now, perhaps you've been there. But if you go without congregational worship for weeks and months at a time, you're missing something. You are missing something. And so is God, for that matter, but you're missing something. Four, Jesus regularly participated in congregational worship. If we're a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to be 
following him and nothing else following his example, what would Jesus do? He went to the synagogue every Sabbath. I'm sure he did growing up. When he got of age, at age 12 at least, and probably after that, as, as, as a man, uh, he went to the regular feasts, the, the three regular feasts each year at the temple there in Jerusalem. And we see in gospel, his public ministry, he's always in the synagogue teaching and preaching and ministering and healing. Five, congregational worship is more like heaven. Again, you need your private worship, your family worship. You need that. I'm not against that at all. But coming together is more like heaven. Now, I've not been to an Eastern Orthodox worship service. But what I hear from people is completely different from what we're used to as Protestants, and particularly even as Roman Catholics. Eastern Orthodox, there's lots of bells and lots of smells, lots of incense, lots of, in, lots of incense. It's, it's, it's a service that really appeals to the senses. And, people, and my understanding is they don't have pews. You're standing the whole time. And it's, it's so otherworldly, if I can put it those ways, it's a lot like heaven, people tell me. It's different the way we do church worship services. They have a, a foretaste of heaven. Their congregation worship, they say, is a lot like heaven. Now, we express our unity with all true Christians all time, everywhere, when we are in congregational worship. This is like a picture of, of heaven to some degree we see in the Bible. You know, as, as I look at the scriptures, the Bible gives no indication of private worship in heaven. There's not a lot of stuff in the Bible about heaven. I mean, we have some imagination, but there's nothing that says there's private worship going on in heaven. The picture is myriads and myriads and myriads worshiping together, isn't it? Now, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to be like in heaven, but I'm sure it's going to be that, if nothing else. If you love God, you will love his people. It's like me saying, not like me saying to my wife, I love you and I want to marry you, but I want nothing to do with your family. It doesn't work, does it? If it does work, then something's going on. But if you love Jesus, you're going to love his people. It might not like his people, but you're going to love his people. So if that's the, if that's the case, if you love God and you love his people, how can you neglect worship with God's people? The more we worship biblically, the stronger we become, not just in numbers, but stronger we become individually and stronger we'll become congregationally. We are as strong as a church, local church, as you and I are strong in worship. The stronger we become, stronger our church becomes. The stronger you grow through worship, the stronger our church grows. So the church becomes or grows stronger through worship. Second, the church grows deeper through discipleship. Back in the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them, that's the word, to observe all that I've commanded you. This is the word teaching. Discipleship is following Jesus as his disciple. Now, discipleship is not just for 
the spiritually mature, not just for the super Christian. Discipleship is for every Christian. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. They're the same thing. You are following, you're following Jesus. You are being equipped. You're being trained. You're being taught. Those are all kind of in the, in the same ballpark of what discipleship is. In verse 42 of our text, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, this is, yes, you learn doctrine. I'm sure they saw Jesus in the Old Testament. It was practical how to live the Christian life. How do you follow Jesus practically? Discipleship is the act of following Jesus Christ, a learner. And we're always in the school of discipleship with Jesus. And probably will be when we go to heaven. So what do we learn as a disciple? Well, we learn how to follow Jesus. That's, that's the easy way, how to follow God. How? Primarily through God's Word. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul says, or writes, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, this brings us down just, just for a second. These, these four things Paul says that uh, the Scripture is useful for, is useful for teaching. It tells us true doctrine, tells us what is truth, tells us what it is. Second, rebuking. When we get off the path of truth, the Word of God says, stop it. You're doing it. Don't do this. It's one thing to say you're done wrong, you got off the path, stop it, you're a sinner, however you want to say that. If it just left it there, we're in trouble. Teaching, rebuking, but the third thing is correcting. Now that you get off the path, here's how to get back on the path. Thank God it corrects us Amen. once we've been rebuked and then training in righteousness. Once you get back on the path, how you can continue on. That's what God's Word does. That's what discipleship is all about. i got four sub-points here. One. Christian discipleship is more than academics. What does that mean? Well, it's more than listen to gospel preaching on the radio. I'm not against gospel preaching on the radio. I'm not against this. Hear me. But it's more than that. It's more than watching a preacher or a teacher on TV or getting a CD and listening to it or a DVD and watching it or going online and hearing someone or or getting trained that way or online course or even going to seminary. It's more than that. Now, I'm not against any of those things, but it's more than that. There's more discipleship than just the intellectual part. The academic part, the intellectual part is essential. You need that. After all, the only way to be transformed, Paul says, Romans 12, 2, is by the renewing of your mind. Christianity is, first of all, a cognitive experience. It's not, just, it's not just emotional experience, not just experiences, but it's also with the mind. I'm not against emotional experiences, but I'm against not doing the mind. You've got to have the mind involved with this. To grow in Christ-likeness, we must hear and process the truth. But Christianship is more than just mastering Material. Paul says in Colossians 1.28, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. 
It's academics, it's intellectual, so it can be applied. Two, God has placed gifted people in the church to teach you. God has placed gifted people in the church to teach you. Let, let's just think, at the moment, we've got Sunday school teachers here, from nursery all the way up. God has placed these teachers in your path in this church to help you. They're gifted in those ministries to teach you. You have three elders, come myself as an elder, and elders are apt to teach, and especially as a pastor, to be a teacher. My marching orders and the marching orders of your next pastor is really Ephesians 4.11. He talks about the, the four, really it's, it's four different gifted individuals God gives to the church. And one is called, in, in most translation, uh, pastor and teacher. It's really, it's really shepherd teacher. It's really one office. The pastor is a shepherd and a teacher. That's his main responsibilities. And I've got a sermon on that I'll preach when we get closer calling a pastor what his job is. My job as interim pastor is to be a teacher, among other things. But others here have been gifted of God to teach, and God has given those to the church so we can grow in Christ, grow deeper through discipleship. Three, God's greatest commandment is to love him with all our mind, a heart and soul and mind. That's a part of it. Four, learning in the church helps protect you from errors. We need each other. Sometimes we drift this way and sometimes we drift that way. And we know of churches who have drifted too far. We say, whoa, there's a false teaching there going on there. Something's going on there because the leadership is not right. You see, friends, the Word of God contains an exhaustible supply of spiritual truths that we cannot completely comprehend in a dozen lifetimes. One seminary professor used to tell his students to study infinity requires eternity. To study infinity requires eternity. Now, I'm not sure all we're going to do in heaven, new heavens, new earth, but part of it is going to continue to study, continue to understand who God is. Therefore, the study and application of God's word must be a lifetime commitment. So how do you grow through this opportunity individually? Well, hearing the preacher preach on Sunday morning is a step. It's not the only, if this is the only subject you're, you're getting right now, you're, you're starving yourself. This is, this is a beginning place right here in the pulpit, but it's just a beginning place. It's not it. But things like Sunday school, that's where you are trained. Things like what we're doing on Sunday night, experiencing God, or other discipleship courses, growing courses even Bible study on Wednesday night, or, or special things like the first place is going to be on Sunday nights, but it could be something else during the week. Uh, even one-on-one groups. There's different ways of discipleship, but as we personally grow deeper in our own discipleship, our church will grow. So as you personally grow deeper in discipleship, our church grows deeper. So the church grows stronger through worship, church grows deeper through discipleship, and third, the church grows warmer through fellowship. Back to the Great Commission last week, Matthew 28, about baptizing. We mentioned that very briefly last week. Baptizing really means a person received Christ and shows his commitment to Jesus, is going to follow Jesus by being baptized. 
through water baptism, but that implies a lot of things. But my point here implies you being baptized in a local church, become part of a local church in practicality. Now, I know people are baptized at camps and so forth, but really baptism should be done in the local church. It implies being part of a fellowship. In Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, being together. Verse 44, and all who believed were together had all things in common. In verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were together, ate together. The word here in Greek is a word you've heard before, the word koinonia. If you're taking notes and don't know how to spell it, it's K-O-I-N-O-N-I-A, koinonia. That means fellowship. It can be translated partnership, uh, participation, communion. It means to, to share something with someone. Now, the word fellowship is a good word, but I think probably even a better translation of that word, koinonia, is really partnership. It's a business term, really, being in partner together. At some time, a little boy is asked to define, probably in Sunday school, define fellowship. What is fellowship? He, he thought for a second, and he said, well, I guess it's two fellas in a ship. <laughs> well, that's not bad. If you've got two fellows in a ship together, they go up and down together, and they move forward at the same pace, and they are together in a common purpose. That's what fellowship is. But fellowship is more than just attending worship together, and it extends beyond mere socialization of eating donuts and drinking coffee or eating a meal in the fellowship hall does not necessarily mean koinonia has happened. And again, I'm not against eating donuts and drinking coffee and eating a meal in the fellowship hall. Amen. Amen. Okay, I got someone who's awake. I'm not against socialization. I'm not against that at all. But sometimes we confuse socializing and fellowship, koinonia. It's the inability to recognize distinction is unhealthy for the soul. As theologian I.J. Packard once put it, it is not a good sign when a person sees no difference between sucking sweets and eating a square meal. Equally, it is not a good sign when Christians see no difference between social activities and Christian company and what the New Testament calls fellowship in Christ. Again, I'm not against socialization, I'm not against sucking on sweets, but I can't be your steady diet, Right? Now think of two, two concentric circles. The larger one is socialization, sharing things we have in common as humans, earthly life. We, we talk about our favorite ball team. We talk about our family. We talk about what's happening in, in Kinston. You know, we talk about whatever. That, that, that's great. We do that all the time, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone does this. But Christian fellowship, koinonia, the New Testament koinonia, involves sharing of spiritual life with one another, a little deeper not just surface. Now, again, I'm not speaking against socialization. I love it. I love getting to know you. I love hearing what's happening in your life to a certain degree. It's a gift of God to, to be able to socialize with one another. And the church needs socialization, and so does individual Christian. But in practice, the church has often been accepted socialization as a substitute for fellowship. Now, Grace Fellowship Church, uh, we don't have adult Sunday school on Sunday morning. We have what we call house churches. The adult discipleship meets in homes, and there's about 12 or 13 of those now that Grace has. And I lead one on Tuesday night. 
Uh, there's about six to ten or twelve of us at times. And it's, a, it's a, almost a quaint saying you've heard before probably. Uh, we, we talk about doing life together. Doing life together. That's not just socialization. That's not just Bible study. We do have that. But we kind of share. We get deeper with one another. Two points on this, on this point. Number one, the need for fellowship with the church is undeniable. We need it. A pastor went to visit a church member who had been neglecting fellowship with the church for some time, and the man invited him in, and both sat down by the fireplace there in his den. And without speaking, the pastor looked thoughtfully into the fireplace for as fire was going for several minutes, and then taking the iron poker, pulled one of the hot red coals out and put it onto the, the hearth. And soon it lost its glowing warmth, became dark and cool. Suddenly, the pastor pushed the coal back into the company of the other embers, and it quickly returned to its former strength. I see what you mean, pastor, the man admitted. I'll be back Sunday. That's what happens when you and I withdraw ourselves from fellowship. We're, we're in a set the church on fire. We are on fire because of the Holy Spirit. But when we withdraw, we're like that ember on that out, pull out of the fire into the hearth, and we become cold. They'd be pushed back. The str- now listen to this. The strength of your spiritual life is related to the fellowship you have with the body of Christ. That's a bold statement. The strength of your spiritual fire is related to the fellowship you have with the body of Christ. A person who's withdrawn from the body of Christ, I'm not saying not a Christian, but they're not strong. We need each other. We need to be in that fire of others. You will not be able to maintain your spiritual fervency without the spiritual fuel that God supplies through cornonia. Second, neglect of fellowship with the church is sinful. Neglect of the fellowship with the church is sinful. Wow, where did you get that from, Pastor? The writer of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He writes, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, second coming, approaching. You see, friends, fellowship is more, this koinonia is more than just socializing. It's deeper. Is sharing the common life we have in Christ. Not just common life as humans, but in Christ. And here are some questions you might could ask each other as a group or individually that gets a little deeper. Things like, what have you seen God doing lately in your life? We're kind of doing this a little bit on Sunday night, aren't we? What do you feel good about right now in the spiritual life, in the spiritual area of your life? What's going good? Where are you having slow going right now spiritually? What's the most important decision facing you in the near future? Have you read anything recently that's helped you grow spiritually? What's something the Lord has been teaching you lately? I think a great question here is, how can I pray for you? That's a great question. That gets a little deeper than just, you know, how's your ball team doing? Um, 
So to fulfill the mission of the church, we must gather to scatter. We're not going to be very good scattering next week unless we do some good job gathering. But we can't just gather all the time either. Okay, that's another story. When we gather, we need to grow in worship, grow in discipleship, grow in fellowship with Koinonia. Everything we do as a gathered church body should involve one or more of these three functions of the church. So every time we meet on this campus, we should be doing something of worship and or discipleship and or koinonia. If we're not doing one of these, then we need to say, what's going on? Should we be doing that as a church? So how's your life in these three areas of worship and discipleship and fellowship? Ask God to help you and help us grow in these areas of the gathered church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the church. Thank you for placing us in the body of Christ and for this local church we call Emmanuel Baptist Church here in Kinston. We thank you for the purpose that we're here for, to meet on campus, to worship and to be trained and to engage in koinonia. Help us to grow more in these areas for our benefit and for the benefit of our church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.